God would not have sent his angel if Daniel had not prayed. Just think about in your own life what you have forfeited because of a failure to simply ask God for what you really need. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Why is it important for Christians to understand the role that spiritual beings play behind world history? Hello, I'm Bill Wright. Today we continue in Daniel chapter 10 with Tom's series titled, The Spiritual War Behind World History. The Bible teaches that there are spiritual beings that operate throughout the universe, in this world, and in each of our lives. This is true of both holy angels and fallen angels, or demons. Daniel 10 describes the activities of angels and demons as it relates to their involvement with influencing the leaders and empires of the world. But we as Christians must have confidence in God as He sovereignly governs the affairs of the spiritual world according to His good will, even during difficult circumstances. Consider this issue carefully as Tom Pennington begins right now on The Word Unleashed. Scripture teaches that there is a unique order of beings as real as the person sitting next to you tonight Beings who operate throughout the universe, in this world, and in each of our lives. These beings were all created as holy angels, but many of them sinned and followed Satan in his rebellion against God, and so now there are two distinct groups of these beings, the holy angels devoted to God and His cause, and Satan and his demons, the enemies of God, and the enemies of all that is good and all that is holy. In Daniel, once again tonight, we encounter a holy angel. Now last time we began our study of Daniel's final vision. His last vision actually runs from chapter 10 verse 1 all the way through the end of chapter 12 and the end of the book. The prophecy of this vision extends from Daniel's time and the Persian empire until the future kingdom of God on this planet when Jesus Christ our Lord will reign and rule from Palestine. Daniel chapter 10 is really, however, just the introduction to this final vision. In this chapter, we discover some fascinating insights into the activity of angels and of demons in our world. It actually describes for us the spiritual war that lies behind world history. Now, as we began to look at this 10th chapter, uh, we began with the introduction. It is the introduction to Daniel's final vision, chapter 10, verse 1, through chapter 11, verse 1. This introduction starts by relating the difficult setting of the vision in verses 1 to 3. Notice verse 1. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar. And the message was true and one of great conflict, but he understood the message and had an understanding of the vision. This final revelation 
came to the prophet Daniel in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia. That's in the year 535 or 536 B.C. It's just a short time after the first group of Jewish captives had returned from Babylon back to the land of Israel. Verses 2 and 3, notice he continues, in those days, I, Daniel, had been mourning for three entire weeks. I did not eat any tasty food, nor did meat or wine enter my mouth, nor did I use any ointment at all until the entire three weeks were completed. That's the setting of this vision. We continued in observing a terrifying vision of a heavenly being in verses 4 through 9. Notice verse 4. <clears throat> Excuse me. On the 24th day of the first month, while I was by the bank of the great river, that is, the Tigris, the first month of the Jewish calendar is the month Nisan, which is our March-April. Daniel had begun his prayer and fasting three weeks before then on the 3rd of Nisan. That meant that he was fasting and praying during two of Israel's great feasts, Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And of course, Passover celebrates the, the release of the Israelites from their captivity in Egypt, and certainly that prompted Daniel to remember the recent exodus of Israelites from Babylon who had returned home to Israel, but undoubtedly also had considered the difficult circumstances they, they had encountered once they arrived. Verse 4 goes on to say, while I was by the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, the Tigris River, I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, there was a certain man. Daniel was standing on the bank of the Tigris River, and he looked up, and he saw this being in the form of a man hovering in the air above the river. Verse 5 goes on to describe him. He was dressed in linen. His waist was girded with a belt of pure gold of Euphaz. His body also was like beryl. His face had the appearance of lightning. His eyes were like flaming torches. His arms and feet like the gleam of polished bronze and the sound of his words like the sound of a tumult. Who is this magnificent person? Well, we learned last time that it has to be one of two, either an angel or the eternal Son of God. Although we can't be certain, I argued last time, and I'm inclined to believe that the man dressed in linen in verses 5 through 9 is a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. Then beginning in verse 10, we meet a separate person, this appearance of Christ in verses 5 through 9, he sends his angel, beginning in verse 10, to assist Daniel. But notice Daniel's response to this vision of the second person of the Trinity, verse 7, now I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, while the men who were with me did not see the vision. Nevertheless, a great dread fell on them, and they ran away to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, yet no strength was left in me, for my natural color turned to a deathly pallor, and I retained no strength. But I heard the sound of his words, and as soon as I heard the sound of his words, I fell into a deep sleep on my face with my face to the ground. As soon as the Son of God spoke, Daniel went into shock. He was left unconscious with his face on the ground, just like John in Revelation 1. Now tonight, 
we come to the next part of this introduction. That was the terrifying vision of a heavenly being. Thirdly, we see the unsettling explanation of the angel. This is verses 10 through 14. At this point, understand this, in verse 10, if, if we're interpreting it correctly, then in verse 10, the vision of the Messiah is over, and we meet a second person, an angel, who comes to interpret the vision. Without question, the person beginning in verse 10 must be an angel because he is clearly not equal to God. Remember, in verse 13, he requires the help of Michael to fight against demonic forces. There is almost universal agreement among commentators and scholars that the person we meet beginning in verse 10 must be an angel. It may be Gabriel, who's appeared several times before. If so, it's surprising that he's not named like he is before. Or more likely, this is another angel who simply remains unnamed. Now, the angel actually appears to Daniel in bodily form because in verse 10, he touches him. Notice, then behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. Remember in verse 9, Daniel was unconscious on his face before the Son of God. And here, an angel touched him, brought him to consciousness, and raised him from prostrate on the ground on his face to resting on his hands and knees. But he's still trembling in fear and weakness from what he has just experienced. Verse 11, he said to me, O Daniel, man of high esteem, again, I love that reference, one who is highly favored with God, not because of who Daniel is, but because of who God is, just like with us. Oh, man of high esteem, understand the words that I am about to tell you and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. Understand, Daniel. In other words, Daniel, you need to listen and you need to contemplate carefully what I'm about to tell you. It's really not surprising if you've read further in the book of Daniel and you've read the vision in chapter 11, it's pretty difficult to understand. No wonder that the angel says, listen up, Daniel, you you need to focus because of what I'm about to tell you. Not only is is it incredible historical detail, but it's presented in such a way that would have made it very difficult for someone who isn't looking back on those things like we are to have fully and completely comprehended it as we can today. Daniel really needed to give his attention to this. The angel says also, stand up. You have, I've comforted you, I've encouraged you, and so stand up. God had sent this angel specifically for Daniel's benefit. Verse 11 goes on to say, And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Daniel found the strength to stand on his feet, but he's still trembling with fear and weakness. Verse 12, Then he said to me, Do not be afraid, Daniel. Why? Why would you not be afraid? For, because, here's why, don't be afraid. For from the first day that you set your heart on understanding this and on humbling yourself before God, that is from the beginning of his prayer and fasting three weeks before, from the beginning of that, your words were heard. God heard your prayer and I have come in response to your words. 
Again, folks, we have seen again and again in Daniel's life God's response to prayer. You know, some people talk about the power of prayer. Prayer has no power. The God to whom we pray has power. And he responds, and that's exactly what he does here. Daniel prays. He prays the same kind of weak and adequate prayers that we all pray, although certainly a holy man with many years of experience, and God heard his prayer, and God responded, just as he will hear our prayers and respond. His great heart was moved. Notice, God sent this angel in answer to Daniel's prayer. In fact, in Hebrew, what the angel says here is emphatic. Literally, it reads this way, I myself have come in response to your words. The clear implication is that God would not have sent his angel if Daniel had not prayed. Just think about in your own life what you have forfeited because of a failure to simply ask God for what you really need. We have not because we ask not. And sometimes it's because we ask in the wrong way to satisfy our lusts. But often it's because we don't ask. Daniel prayed God responded. Dale Ralph Davis writes, Daniel prayed and angels went to war. What follows in verse 13 and following is one of the most unusual and potentially, if you don't understand it, potentially one of the most unsettling passages and explanations in all of Scripture. Look at verse 13. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia was withstanding me for 21 days. In other words, this angel says, Daniel, when you first began to pray three weeks ago, God sent me to you, specifically in answer to your prayer. But I was delayed for 21 days. Why? Notice what he says. Because the prince of the kingdom of Persia was withstanding me for those 21 days. Who is this person, this person who can stand against a powerful angel sent from God? It can't be a man since he's able to withstand an angel for 21 days. It must be another angel. Also, by the way, in verse 21, Michael is called the prince of Israel. So the prince of Persia here in the same passage must have also been an angel. Secondly, it cannot be a holy angel since he stands opposed to God's angel. It must be an evil angel or, as we have come to call them, and the New Testament does, demons. The Old Testament does as well. So the prince of the kingdom of Persia then must have been a demon, a demon with a very specific assignment. His assignment, his territory, his special area of responsibility was Persia. Now, we can't be more specific than that. This may be a demon that Satan assigned to the empire of Persia, or possibly it's Satan himself. Since Persia was at that time the dominant world power in the Mediterranean, it would have been a special interest to Satan and probably the place where he would have concentrated his efforts. So it it is either one of his demons assigned to this role or Satan himself. 
Verse 13 says, the prince of the kingdom of Persia was withstanding me. That doesn't mean that this demon was trying to keep the holy angel from delivering his message to Daniel. How do we know that? Because as soon as this angel finishes delivering his message, he goes back and engages in the conflict again. It's more likely that the delay was because of the larger battle between the forces of God and the forces of Satan. And that's where the curtain is drawn back here and allows us to glimpse something of what's happening around us all the time. Sinclair Ferguson writes, chapter 10 contains vital biblical insights into the nature of reality. It emphasizes that human causes and effects are not the only forces or influences operative in the history of the world, end quote. Have you ever thought about that? Satan, according to this passage, appoints high-ranking demons to individual governments, especially the most powerful and influential, to influence their leaders against God and his people. Abraham Kuyper writes this, if once the curtain were pulled back and the spiritual world behind it came to view, it would expose to our spiritual vision a struggle so intense, so convulsive, sweeping everything within its range that the fiercest battle ever fought on earth would seem by comparison a mere game. Not here, but there. That is where the real conflict is waged. Our earthly struggle drones in its backlash. End quote. Verse 13. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia was withstanding me for 21 days. Then, behold, Michael, one of the chief princes. Notice that expression, one of the chief princes. Scripture is clear that among the, the angels, as well as the demons, there is a hierarchy of leadership. And among the angels, the holy angels, Michael is certainly one, if not the most powerful and important angel. He is one of two angels that are named in Scripture, Gabriel being the other. Michael's name means, who is like God? And here he's called one of the chief princes. In Jude 9, he's called the archangel. Since Michael here is called one of the chief princes, it does suggest there may be other archangels that aren't named in Scripture. So it's possible another is Gabriel, the only other angel mentioned by name in the Bible. But Michael is the only angel called an archangel. The title archangel just means chief or first angel. The apocryphal book of Enoch names a total of seven archangels, with four of those seven as the principal ones. You've heard their names because they're out there in sort of mythology, Michael, Gabriel, which are biblical names, and then Raphael and Uriel. But Scripture only calls one angel an archangel, and that's Michael. The title indicates that Michael has authority over most, if not all, the other angels. In fact, in Revelation 12, verses 7 and 8, Michael is described as the leader, the captain of 
the angelic army under Christ, of course. In 1 Thessalonians 4.16, we're told that Christ will return with the voice of the archangel. It could be the voice of Michael at the return of Christ. Daniel goes on in verse 13 to quote the angel, Then behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left there with the kings of Persia. According to verse 21, Michael has incredible power. He stands firmly against these forces, it says in verse 21. Incredible, tremendous power. And Michael came to help this angel because Daniel's prayers concerned Israel. And Michael has the primary responsibility to protect the Jewish people. Notice he is called in verse 21, Michael your prince, meaning the prince of Israel. Donald Miller in his commentary writes, Israel has a mighty angelic supporter in the heavenly realm. Therefore, regardless of Israel's political, military, and economic weaknesses, its existence is assured because no earthly power can resist their great prince. At the end of Daniel's life, The great world superpower was Persia, and so it was perfectly natural for Satan, either himself or through one of his demons, to try to influence the decisions of those in leadership in Persia in order to accomplish his ends. There was a spiritual battle raging behind the political decisions happening in Persia. Michael came to the aid of this angel as he battled. Notice the plural, the kings of Persia. Since this battle is a spiritual one, these kings were the spiritual rulers, the demons, multiple ones now. We're not talking about just the one prince, but multiple rulers at the spiritual level who were seeking to influence the human rulers of Persia and to bring them under control. It's possible, you remember, we saw last time that, that there was opposition that was aroused in Palestine, the Samaritans against rebuilding, the Jewish people rebuilding their, their city and their temple. And you remember the leaders of Persia at the time responded and shut down the building. It's possible that behind that was this spiritual struggle that we're reading about here. Now, having explained why he was delayed, the angel explained the purpose for his coming. Verse 14, now I have come to give you an understanding of what will happen to your people in the latter days. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part three of his series, The Spiritual War Behind World History. Tom will bring you part four next time, and we hope you'll join us then. Well, Tom, why must we as Christians have a biblical understanding of the spiritual world, including angels and demons? You know, the very fact that God included instruction about them in His Word implies that He believes they are worthy of our attention, so they have to be. But it's important to keep a balance. While the Bible does give us some insight into who these beings are and what they do, 
we shouldn't develop an unbiblical or unhealthy obsession with them, either with angels or with demons. It's critical that we understand in both cases they are created beings, and they are under the control ultimately of God. God uses them for his purposes. The angels serve the saints, according to Hebrews, and demons are completely under his control and only do what he allows. They're not to be, angels are not to be worshipped, they're not to be idolized. At the same time, we should praise God that he uses them to accomplish his purposes in the world at large, and at times, as Hebrews reminds us, even in our own lives. Thanks, Tom. And friend, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear your story and how God is enriching you in your walk with Christ through this ministry. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And remember to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. We also invite you to visit thewordunleashed.org, where you'll find other resources, including additional series from The Word Unleashed. Again, that's thewordunleashed.org. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals just like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do so by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth. 